Um, the Advent reading number three, the visit of the wise men. Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, o Beth and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rules of Judah. For you shall come a, a ruler who, shall, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from, from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay, that was awesome. I mean, if y'all don't give an applause to a family... When you can wear a lion mask in front of people and just be completely composed, it, everything else is going to be downhill from now on. So you just, we just reached the peak. Here we go. We're sliding back into mediocrity now. So just hang on. But if you want to participate, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can go there or app. Um, what we've been doing during Advent is we've been taking these ancient songs that uh, most of us have sung our entire lives that go back to the 18th, 17th, 16th uh, century. And we have been taking these songs that have comforted and, and taught the church for hundreds of years, and we've been pairing them with Scripture to help us in this season of Advent. And today we're going to be singing after this sermon, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Do you all know this song? Like, can somebody give me the first line? Uh, Y'all are sharp. All right, you're with me. This, this song that we're going to sing at the end of this sermon is a song of rest. It's a song of an invitation to comfort. It's a song that's an invitation to joy during this season. And I want to ask you, especially uh, if you know Jesus and you've known Jesus for a season in your life, if you're new here, we welcome you. But I want to I speak to those that, that really know Jesus isn't it true that when you know Jesus, rest is normal for you? That peace is the normal state of mind for those who know Jesus. That this is, this is what we were made for. In fact, when Jesus came, he came to rescue us from the chaos of our minds. And he came to rescue us from the chaos of guilt. He came to rescue us from the peacelessness of living in a restless world. 
And he, he rescued us from that place. And scripture even says, remember this, people, scripture calls that death. That even your spirit was dead to God. And when Jesus went to the cross and then rose again, he took those of us that received this invitation of life, and now he brought us from death into life. And this new life that he's given us is defined by rest. It's defined by peace. It's defined by joy. In fact, it's so defined by those things that when you're not experiencing those things, you should stop the train because something has gone sideways. If you are restless in your life and you don't know peace and you don't know joy and you say you know Jesus, something has gotten broken along the way. Like I, so I've not had COVID yet. Some of you may have had COVID. I still look forward to my experience. And, but uh, I don't know anybody that hasn't at one point since last March had this thought. <coughs> I think I have COVID. I'm in a scratchy throat. Mm, I don't think I could be around people today. Mm. And some of you have been tested many, many times and have not tested positive to some of you to your own disappointment. <laughs> Ooh, I was certain I had COVID. But why is it that when we have a scratchy throat, we want to immediately go get tested for this pandemic and we need treatment absolutely right now. But when I live in a state of restlessness, and there's no peace in my life, I accept that as normal. When if you know Jesus, that's not normal at all. That's not the normality of who we are in Christ. And we're, I was thinking and praying about this today. Uh, a couple of years ago, my son and I went skydiving. Have any of y'all ever been skydiving? We got two, three brave souls, a bunch of chickens in this room. And at home, I can see your hands on the couch. Uh, and so they strap you to another person and then they inch you to the door. You're 10,000 feet up in the air and the, the doors of this plane just come off, you know? And it's like a garage door that they open up. And uh, we're, we're sitting at the edge and my heart is going at, you know, 300 beats a second because at this point there is high levels of anxiety. And I turned to the guy behind me, I said, you seem so calm. And he goes, don't worry, I've done this a thousand times. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm doing it for the first time, of course I'm going to be nervous. But if he's doing it for a thousandth time, then he's calm as anything. Here's the problem with that philosophy. Everything you're doing in your life, you're doing it for the first time. Everything you're doing today for the first time. You're sitting in here on this day, in this moment, with everything that's happened in your life up to this point for the first time. If you're a parent, look at your kids. This is the first time you've been a parent to that kid at this age. Look at your spouse. This is the first time you've been married for your 10th year. It's your first time. Like everything we're doing is the first time. So how do we live in peace when we live in a peaceless world? You know, and even during this season, um, isn't it crazy? I mean, Christmas seems to fight against any kind of peace. There's a rush for time. There's, there's stress over money. There's stress over giving gifts. Um, I, I have to admit to you guys that one of the things that I secretly love is going to the mall on Christmas Eve. I do. I love because it is the weirdest experience in the world. And I love weird. I mean, you go to the mall and you see these 50-year-old men just kind of wandering around. just, And they're just, help me, please. And this is what's hilarious. 
you go into a department store and like they're trusting a 21-year-old girl who's making minimum wage to make major decisions for their wife on Christmas Day. And they're just taking them to the hand and say, let's go to the jewelry counter. Commission, commission. I do, I just, I think it's hilarious, but talk about no peace. But I mean, there, there is nothing, I think, personally more difficult than family at Christmas because it seems like everybody takes this expectation dial and turns it up to 11, especially during COVID. What, you mean you're not coming home for Christmas? No, mom, it's COVID. We're not, we're not traveling 3,000 miles to come and see you guys. Don't you love me? <laughs> no expectations there whatsoever. We're people of peace. And I want today, I want to wage a war on everything in your life that is keeping you from the peace because I'm not asking you to pick up something that you don't have. If you don't know Jesus today, then, then everything we're doing today is an invitation for you to know the Prince of Peace. If you know Jesus today, everything I'm about to say is, is to say to you, the believer, hey, don't step into something you don't have. Wake up to what is already yours. So let's go to Luke chapter 2, and this is a really fun story about a really weird guy. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 22, this is uh, Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus are going to the temple. Uh, Jesus has been born. This is uh, somewhere like probably 33 days after the birth of Christ when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses. We'll talk about that in just a second. Joseph and Mary took him, took him Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph were Jews, and as good Jews, they had circumcised Christ on the eighth day. And on the 33rd day, they're going to the temple, and they're doing two things. One is they're presenting Christ um, they're making a sacrifice in place of giving their firstborn to the temple. And then Mary is also making a sacrifice for her purification, that having a child has made her unclean. And now this 33 days later, she's actually making this sacrifice ceremonially to be clean. And here's what I want you to get. You can go back and read all the history of these things. This was a normal family doing normal things on a normal day. They were doing the same thing that thousands of families had done before them. And they're probably sitting at the temple and they're spotting other families that are coming and doing the exact same thing they are. I also want you to see that what was required was a lamb. They, they couldn't afford a lamb, so they're buying two pigeons instead of a lamb. This was two broke young people, probably in their late teens, walking up the temple and they're doing it for the first time. Get that. She's never had a baby before. She's never brought the baby to do a purification uh, sacrifice. All this stuff is the first time. They probably have a thousand things on their mind, just like you have a thousand things on your mind today. They're probably wondering, how's this going to work out? They're walking into the temple, and if they had a newborn, I, I can almost guarantee you they're tired. They're tired. They're probably wowed by everything that's happened. And they may have been even thinking to themselves, I wish I could just have a little taste of normal. You remember that little coffee shop back in Bethlehem? What was it called? Star, star something? Star of Bethlehem? No, no, no. I think it was Starbucks and they had these little cake pops. If I could just have one of those right now. 
I mean, we're joking, but you don't think that they were thinking something familiar would be kind of sweet? And then in comes this guy. And I want you to, I'm about to read you this story, and I want, this is a guy they didn't know. This was a guy that came running up to them. He was probably old, and look what he did. He snatched the baby from Mary's hands. Now, if you don't think that's traumatic, that a first-time mom, like if you have 12 kids, that's a welcome sight. Yeah, stranger, take them. I don't care. Yeah, we'll come get him next week sometime, you know. But your firstborn, and as a teen, and with, with godly promises around this baby being so precious, and what I'm trying to get you to do is I'm trying to get you to see the normalness, the normalness of this situation. These were people, okay? These aren't Bible characters that didn't have personalities. And same with us. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary or the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, so let's just stop for a minute. This old dude who is waiting on the consolation of Israel, what is that? Well, maybe a better way to say this, he's waiting on God to comfort Israel. But here's what was known about Simeon. He had a profound dose of the ghost. Just this guy was dripping in the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, did you ever grow up in a church and there was always that guy, you know, that always seemed like they're looking away to the ceiling going, yes, God? Like, well, this is Simeon. Simeon is a guy who... um, the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. And the Holy Spirit even moved him. Like, this was not your ordinary guy on the steps of the temple. And he comes into this situation with Mary and Joseph, which could be a very stressful moment. And he says this, verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Beautiful, isn't it? Like he's just holding up this child and just saying, you know, the child has come and he's talking about peace and he's talking about salvation and he's talking about the light of revelation and he's talking about glory. Like this is all the kind of stuff that we could easily see on a Christmas card, you know, with your family's, you know, picture right there trying to convince us all that your family has peace, you know? Well, get this. What Simeon is saying is the comfort of Israel is not an event. The comfort of Israel is not something that we're waiting to have happen, like a political change. The comfort of Israel is a person. That's really important. Underline that because we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. Because God didn't send the best plan. God sent the best person. And then I want you to imagine in this story as he's holding up this baby and he hands the baby back to Mary and all of a sudden the skies go dark, that the wind stops blowing. You can't hear any of the birds chirping anymore. 
And it's almost like his face loses all expression and he leans in, almost like a scene from a horror movie. And he looks at her and look what he says. Well, the child's father and mother, they're marveling what is said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, after he blessed them, this is what he said to them. This child is destined to call the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. <laughs> I mean, come on. What he's saying is salvation has come and it's going to turn this world upside down. And people are going to rail against him. And in fact, the whole world is going to turn against your son. And dark things are going to happen to this man's life. And it is going to pierce your soul like a sword. Here's what I want you to grasp, okay? And we don't have time today to talk about everything about this. I hope in your small group or your home church you have a chance to talk about this. Peace always comes in the middle of no peace. Rest always shows up in restlessness. In fact, no peace, restlessness, chaos is normal. That is normal. What's not normal is when peace shows up in those places. And when rest shows up in the place that you never expect there to be rest. That's what Jesus is doing. That's Christmas. That's exactly what Christ came to do, to bring you peace in the middle of your tornado. And this sermon's going to have no application whatsoever right now unless we stop. And you ask yourself, what is the tornado in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your relationships? If you go, there are none. You can go to sleep now because the rest of this sermon is going to have zero application to you. But if you're like, no, if you're like me, if you love anything, there is pain in your life. I promise you, try to love yourself. There's pain in your life. Trying to love another person, there's pain in your life. Try to love your calling, there's pain in your life. Try to love your kids or the place you work or this city, there is pain in your life. Do you know what your pain is? Because in Numbers chapter 6, this is the Old Testament, old school, there is a promise that God is making, and that promise is, is about the mission of Jesus. And this promise is found in Numbers chapter 6. This is verse 20 through, 24 through 26. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you, and look here, here's the punchline, and give you peace. That's what Jesus came to do. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is that we have peace with God. That, that war that we have, we have waged with God um, is over. And that war is, is that Scripture says the wages of sin is death. I know that I've done things in my life that if God was to look at me and see everything that I'd done in my life, I would be crushed with the shame of somebody knowing everything. And I know I'm guilty. And I know I've got blood on my hands. And I know that if I have to stand before God one day and he goes, give an account for everything you've done, I would crumble. It would crush me. And it has left my heart peaceless with no rest whatsoever. I know that. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the South. And uh, all the girls I wanted to date were Baptist. 
I don't know why. It's just the South. And so to date them, you have to go where they go, which are youth revivals. And I walked the aisle so many times growing up. You know, at the end of every revival, they ask you to come up, accept Jesus, you know, come on down, the buses will wait, you know. And I didn't know anything about Jesus. I just knew that the more they talked, the more guilty I felt about my life. I knew what a, what a, a, a moral failure I was. And that guy up there was going, okay, all can be forgiven. And I'm like, great. Especially if you just grab the hand of that cute little girl and you go, go with me. Let us go spiritually and be vulnerable with one another. I know. But you know what? Every time I did that, uh, I still, even later in life, had this great sense that, okay, Jesus forgave me. But I know what God's really like, that God is really just standing back and going, I can't believe what you've done with what I've given you. Like, just shame-lipping me, you know? Because even though Jesus came into my life, it didn't seem like I was getting any better. In fact, it seemed like I was getting worse. And Jesus, I just felt like God was standing back here just going, man, out of all my kids, you're the biggest disappointment. And so my religious life became about trying to find peace. Like if I could go to church enough or if I could pray enough, if I could read the Bible enough. I even had like these Bible studies where we would get up. We would try to have Bible studies at the worst possible time so that we'd feel better about having Bible studies. And so we would meet like at six in the morning, six in the morning. You got to be kidding me. I don't understand anything at six in the morning, but we were there because we were proven to Jesus. Like, you know, you don't have to be ashamed of me anymore. When Jesus went to the cross, Midtown, just hear this. When Jesus went to the cross and he rose again, you know, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And what that means is that my sin has no more claim on me anymore. That all my sin has been removed. That Jesus took every bit of it, everything I'd done in the past, everything I'm doing right now, and everything I did in the future. Jesus took it all. And this is what he did. He, he set me up here and he says, I declare you holy. Like, that's what Jesus did. You are holy, and your Father rejoices over you. He's not shame-lipping you anymore. He's inviting you to the dance. And it's not just peace with God, because then he starts to do this unbelievable thing. He starts to whisper in my ear, have peace with yourself. What? You have peace with me. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to come behind you. There's nowhere you can go that I'm not going to be with you. I, I love you. And the depth in which you can understand how much I love you is the depth in which you're going to experience me. That's what God was saying. And then he leans in and he goes, have peace with yourself. What do you mean, Jesus? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Behold the glory of how I've made you. Have peace with you. Be thankful. Be thankful for everything I've given you. What? And be thankful for everything I didn't give you. What? I didn't make you good looking. Be thankful for that. How is that possible? And then he comes in and he goes, now have peace of mind. And where does my peace of mind come? Is he whispers a secret in our ears because he's a good father. And he says this, you have control over nothing. You know, I, I know behind your mask, you're all shocked. But what he's saying is, Cheer up, you have no control, which means I have control. 
and I'm crazy about you, and I made you purposely, intentionally, just the way you are. So go live your life to the full. Go live. That's why in Psalms it says he's put me in wide open spaces. That's why in John chapter 14, Jesus says something that you should write down this passage because if you have problems with peace, you need to write this on your mirror in your bathroom, frontwards and backwards, because Jesus makes a promise, peace I leave you. Now remember, he's about to go to the cross and he's about to step into the darkest days of these disciples' lives and he says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. And I don't give you as the world gives. So don't let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. What he was saying was, Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, God incarnate, God who became flesh, had supernatural other world peace. And he's saying, that's the peace I'm giving you. Okay, we're, man, we're, we don't have a lot of time. So, all right, put on your seatbelts because we're about to be speed racers, all right? And um, we're going to run through this because there's a big problem with what I just said to you. In Isaiah chapter 30, this is in, uh, this verse 15b, it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. And then it goes on to talk about, no, 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 what you said was, no, I'll flee on horses. And the Lord said, therefore you will flee. We'll ride off on swift horses. And God says, your pursuers will be swifter. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you'll flee away till you're left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. God's rest, I don't want anything to do with it. And so we start to run. And many of you, maybe all of you, have, have made a lifetime career out of running. Let me give you a couple ideas of how we run. One of the ways that we run from God's peace, we go, no thanks. We step over here and we start a life of comparison. Because you know what the joy killer is? Comparison. See, because I believe that my value that makes me lovable, my value that allows me to belong, is not being me, but being like somebody else. That I believe I'm unworthy of belonging, I'm unworthy of being loved, and so I have to become worthy, and what am I going to do? I'm going to look out here and compare myself to you and try to figure out how I can run after who you are. Another way we do it is, it's really kind of simple. Uh, some of us say to God's peace, no thank you, by living a life with zero gratitude. We're not thankful for anything. We don't see the power and beauty of what we have. All we see is what we don't have. All we see is what is not, instead of seeing what is. In fact, it takes no creativity whatsoever to criticize. Zero. Anybody can criticize. It takes no gifts to tear down. But to see the beauty and what's being built, that comes from a place of peace. And some of us have forfeited that completely. I was reading this week, do you know the science of gratitude? Maybe you've not read this, but when we express gratitude, it changes your brain. It actually does, that when I'm expressing gratitude, it's actually releasing a hormone, dopamine in my brain, which also is a neurotransmitter, and it actually is healing my brain when I start to practice continual gratitude and thankfulness. 
And something else starts to happen as scientists have discovered something that I think God's just now learning about this. It's, I don't know. He's catching up. You know, I'm sure God is going, they discovered that. And he's turned into the Holy Spirit and said, did you think we were doing that? Okay, that's a joke. He knew. All right. All truth is God's truth. And when we show gratitude toward another person, there is a connection that begins to build us to that other person. The same with God. When I begin to express gratitude to God, but when I'm not living in peace and I'm running from peace, I'm angry. I don't want to give thanks for anything. Just critical. Some of us, we have forfeited the peace of God because we have decided that control is a legitimate way of life. That I, I am never going to put myself in a situation where I'm not in control. I'm never going to be in a place. And when, when we decide that we are going to control our whole world to spare ourselves pain, chaos, need for a savior, then we're like, we're like sailboats that were made for the open water that we have tied to the dock and we have said living at the dock is better than living out there. And the sad thing about that is a sailboat wasn't made to live by the dock. A sailboat was made for the open water. And when we live a controlled life, it brings more damage to our lives than going out and daring the wild waters. We had a, a staff retreat a number of years ago up at Center Hill Lake, and we were we were out in a couple of boats, and uh, this storm just blew in. Like, we couldn't believe it. Like, it just, just in a few seconds. And one of our boats actually made it back to the dock. Uh, and as it pulled into the dock, the waves were just, the wind was just, just throwing everything everywhere. And it just, just destroyed that boat because it was at the dock. The same is true about our lives. When we decide that we're going to live controlled lives, we're going to tie ourselves to the dock, and the dock is going to beat the hell out of us. It is. Some of us, we've left a life of peace because we live in the past or we live in the future. We don't have time to talk about this morning. i got four minutes left to take you to the gospel, but I don't know who it was that said this. It says, if you're depressed, it's probably because you're living in the past. If you're anxious, it's probably because you're living in the future. If you're at peace, it's probably because you're living in the present. So how do we fight this? Okay, Midtown, how do we now, how do we, we go, okay, how do I embrace that which has already embraced me? Colossians chapter 3, this is verse 15. Man, this is such a power-packed passage. This is, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm literally going to talk about this passage for three minutes. The first thing is, uh, thank, thank, thank. That's all throughout this passage is be thankful. That one of the ways that we live in the peace that is already ours is we become people of gratitude. But the second way is the very first word in this passage is let. Let the peace of Christ rule. It, it's an invitation to you. It's an intentional invitation. 
Have you ever been to uh, like a professional baseball game or to the sounds and the, the, the cam falls on a couple and you realize, oh, this was pre-planned and he gets down on his knee, you know, and everybody's like, like, you know, and he cracks open the little box and everybody goes silent. And why are they silent? Because he's asking a question and everybody's waiting for the response. And we've all seen those YouTube video where she's going, no, <laughs> like it's horrible, isn't it? No, but we're all waiting because we know a question that carries that much gravitas demands a response. It demands it. And that's what this is. It's demanding a response. Will you let the peace of Christ, will you let the peace of Christ rule? It's a proposal. So all that trouble that I asked you to think about a minute ago, I'm asking you another question now. Will you? I mean, it's just simple, yes or no. Well, rule is that that word there is actually literally translated umpire, and it's letting the peace of Christ come into your life and become the, impi- the umpire of your emotions, the umpire of your relationships, the umpire of your work, the umpire of your memories, the umpire of your thoughts, the umpire of God, the umpire of yourself, the un- umpire with your relationship with other people, that the peace of Christ would come in and do those things. And then it says that the message of Christ may dwell among you richly and do all in the name of the Lord. So what does this last part mean for me letting the peace of Christ rule? It says do everything in the name of the Lord. When I was in high school, uh, I, I worked at this little grocery store and it was, it was a privately owned uh, grocery store in our hometown, D'Amico's. D'Amico's, and it was run by this Italian family. And Mr. D'Amico, like, he looked like somebody that they had just taken out of Godfather. Like, in the grocery store had one of those little corner offices in the corner of the grocery store that was elevated among the rest of the store with pe- plexiglass, you know? So Mr. D'Amico could sit up there, you know, and had his suspenders, and he could keep his eye on the entire, you know, grocery store. And it's funny because I worked in this grocery store with all the, like, neighborhood high school kids and we were convinced that Mr. D'Amico was a mafia boss. We did. We talked about it. Like, I mean, this is a small town. And I'm sure small towns are run by the mafia, right? And, you know, I'm sure he took out hits on people. You know, in our imagination, he was like the godfather. <laughs> you know? And uh, so from time to time, he would call me up and he'd go, John, come on up here. And I would come up here and he goes, you got a car? And I go, yes, Mr. DeVico, I have a car. He goes, I need you to run me an errand. Do this favor for me. You know, (laughs) whatever you ask. And he would send me across town to get a box. And he would say, don't look in the box. Just bring the box back to me. I'm like, oh, man, there are going to be heads in the box, you know, or something. I go, Mr. DeVico, okay, so when I get there, uh, do I need to pay them for anything? No. You just tell them I sent you. So I would go and get this box, and I'm like, hey, I'm here for Mr. D'Amico. Oh, wait right there. And they go get the box and bring it back and tell you anything. No, no, no. You just tell Mr. D'Amico, you know, 
We did this favor for him, you know? And you know what's probably in it is we probably ran out of Morton salt on aisle four, and that's probably what it was, was not, you know, cocaine or drugs or money or heads. But all I had to do was drop the name D'Amico, and it opened up the door to mystery boxes. And I want to tell you, that's not at all what this means. Let's close in prayer. You want to know why it's not what at all what it is, what that means? That's confusing. When Jesus says, do all in my name, what he's saying is, do all in my name so that you will remember that I am yours and that you will remember that you are mine. Do all in my name, not because I'm in an office back on the other side of town. Do all in my name so you will remember that I am with you. And that wherever you go, I go with you. And where I go with you, I go with power. I go with grace. I go as one who bears now the name of the house of God. I'm a member of that house. Wherever I go, and maybe this is the simplest I can do it. Wherever I go, he goes with me. And wherever I am, my life bears the fruit that the Holy Spirit is present with me. And part of that fruit is peace. So when I say, I come in the name of the Lord, then what I'm doing now is I'm stepping into the peace and the rest that is mine in him, and I'm saying, I don't have what it takes to do today, but he does. That the situation, I don't have the strength to know the spiritual ramifications of why we're here this morning, he does. What I'm hoping will happen from this sermon today, I can't do, but he can. When I go into his name, when I receive the invitation, when I let that truth rule in my life, when I let the message of Christ dwell richly in my life, I make room for it, and then I go in his name, I realize he goes with me. That's what gives us peace. So God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power. When we were gone astray, O oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Lord, bless uh, the teaching of your word. I pray that, Lord, you would rescue us from attending a service and rescue us into experiencing you. Rescue us, Father, from our restless, peaceless lives. And now let us drink in the peace that is ours that you have purchased for us by your very blood and give us comfort and joy. In Christ's name, amen.